Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Anita Ward on the line. Anita, how are you? I'm great, Michael. Thank you for having me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for making some time out of your day to be on the show. So why don't you share a little bit about you, uh, your job title or, or your background, which I found very intriguing and, and some of the things you're working on. Sure, I'm happy to. So I um, have a very unorthodox background in many ways, and I'm currently serving as chief uh, development officer at Salary Finance, which is a financial services organization focused on inclusive um, financial products. But I got here by way of, I think, a, a very personal tale. I am not one of those kids who could look back and say, I grew up in 123 Peachtree in Erie, Pennsylvania. My family struggled with financial issues. So for the most part of my life, until I was about 15, I was essentially homeless. We went from family member to family member, from you know bed to floor to friends, and, and there was never that sense of permanence. And the one house that we did get ended up in a sheriff's sale. So as you think about this and how that journey starts to influence it, when I was 15, my dad packed all of us into a car. And by then, I think, Michael, I had lived in at least 13 locations. Um, and my dad packed us into a U-Haul. I often laugh about this because I don't know that U-Haul ever found it. But um, there were four kids, mom, dad, and we went from Pennsylvania to Las Vegas. And we lived in that U-Haul. It, thank God it was January. We lived in that U-Haul for a bit of time at a rest stop in the desert. And I was fortunate in that I found a job at McDonald's. And to this day, I am so grateful because I understand the meaning of servant leadership. I got my first check from McDonald's and I didn't have a bank account. Heck, you know, banking to us was the big wheel at Binion's, right? <laughs> no idea. What do you do with it? And what did it mean? And why was it so little? <laughs> I thought I was making a lot more money. But the manager at that, um, at that McDonald's on Maryland Parkway recognized there was something wrong. And he leaned in around me and said, I think you need some help. And he helped me with a bank account. He helped me with leftovers, as simple as that is, for the family. Um, he did all of those things that we now talk about, you know, as servant leadership, for which I had no name other than, you know, gratitude because this single employer changed the trajectory of my life and my family's life. And, and, you know, that's something that you don't get to do all the time as a leader. And I don't think my name even, you know, is a, even a, a reflection in his rearview mirror, if you will. But he changed my life and influenced not just where I ended up and where I am today, but uh, also influenced my, my field of study. You'll, you, know, you know, I'm a cultural anthropologist. So I decided that what I really needed to study were human beings and what makes, you know, what makes human beings tick. And, and he was very influential around that. So when I come full circle, having spent a career in banking and financial services, 
and, and technology. Now I'm at that crossroads of how do you help people? How do you uplift people? The planets aligned for me, both in terms of my science as well as my career when I joined salary finance. So, um, so my story's a little different and my definitely my career choices. I don't know, maybe you've had other anthropologists on your show, but it's I don't usually run into too many of them. You're definitely the first one that I've had on my show and I've uh, had almost... 500 episodes. So, um, about time you got here, uh, but, uh, that's, that's my fault, not yours. Thanks for letting me be a first. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Your story. I mean, one, thank you very much for sharing that because it's, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes people have stories that society would look at as potentially embarrassing to share. And the fact that you, you did so, you know, means a lot to me and, and to my audience. And the thing that jumped out at me, obviously, you know, was, you know, obviously the different journeys and the moving a lot. I know a lot of people have been through situations similar to that. And I help out an organization uh, in Toronto that, you know, houses, it's an affordable housing place. And if the people didn't have access to these houses, then, you know, they would be homeless. And so I, it's one of those things where I, yeah, I, I see that. But the one thing that jumped out at me more than anything was the McDonald's angle. And one of the things I tell people, especially young adults or you know kids that are looking for their first job or whatnot, I say, if you can work somehow in the service industry, but specifically either a grocery store or a fast food restaurant, because those are two areas where you in all likelihood will be exposed to every income level because people that are very wealthy will go in and, and get a quarter pounder with cheese or someone that was able to scrounge up enough change to buy a hamburger. They can't afford the cheese because it's you know 25 extra cents or whatever they charge for it. Um, every level there. And it creates that servant leadership component. Like you've seen, you know, I worked at a grocery store and I served, you know, the very affluent in our community and to um, a gentleman that was extremely poor and had mental issues and thought he was Elvis Presley. Um, and he, he came in and walked and, you know, sounded somewhat like, Elvis Presley and, you know, some people were kind of put away and you know, like a little, you know, scared or alarmed to him. Every time I encountered him, I said, you know, good morning, King or good afternoon, King. Cause he knew I was referring to him as the King of rock and roll. So awesome. I, I, that's how I greeted him. And he'd like nod, you know, we never really had a long conversation, but I met him where he was. Right. And, and that's a, a component of servant leadership is meeting people where they are and helping them grow and you know, address the things that they need. So, um, no, that's, that's amazing work. And, you know, the, the, the stuff that you're doing now, you know, with, you know, making finance accessible. And, and we've seen that. And, and you, you know, you experience that in your own life where, you know, you, you know, being homeless and having to move all the time and living in a U-Haul and having that one individual, that one manager, you know, have enough of a sense to realize something was amiss and then helped your family. Um, that's, yeah, it's amazing. 
And there's, there's a lot of human beings out there that are like that. I think there needs to be more, but the fact that you thankfully encountered them and, and I've been in Vegas in January, it's definitely more tolerable than (laughs) June or July or August. Yeah. Or Toronto. Yeah. 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 It would be the extremes. You're like, you know, summertime in in Vegas, you're going to melt to death and wintertime here. Uh, it'll be the absolute opposite of that. So, you know, that's, you know, thankful that you know you were able to share that. And also you survived it. And then you, you know, you, 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 I don't want to say you beat the odds, but you, yes. you made, you made some, you made yeah. some choices, things came about in the right way to allow you to do the work that you've done throughout your career. Yes. And I, think it it really does frame my work and Michael honestly there's no reason to acknowledge me for being authentic I will tell you the truth I never told that story until about two years ago for all of those reasons you just shared it's an embarrassing part I remember the first time that I got I was awarded options from Chase and I had a PhD still did not know what the heck an option was didn't know what was I going to do with it? What did it mean? I was ignorant around finances and working at a bank. You know, I was in technology, but it doesn't matter. I was still ignorant when it came to financial literacy and, uh, and embarrassed to say that it was, you know, part of what, you know, the way I had grown up. But in many ways, that influenced me in a humanistic way. Right. So I, I find myself more empathetic. And I think that's why I landed in anthropology, because if you think about an anthropologist and we're really studying humans and historically, you know, humans in other societies, for me, that was appealing. But that McDonald's lesson really resonated. So I wanted to study societies that existed within business. So my work was always within some kind of a business setting as a bit of a microcosm for society, knowing that if you could wrap your head around the culture and values of an organization and really study the people within it, that you could make better business decisions. Or at least that was my theory at the time that if you were embarking on a merger and acquisition, you better understand the two corporate cultures and whether they can seamlessly come together or at least understand what the issues are going to be. Or if you're building a product, perhaps you should go talk to the consumers who are going to use that product to figure out how, you know, how it would work. And so when you when I entered cultural anthropology, I did two things. I I was enamored with the Middle East, so my my work, my master's work was around Muslim women, but then um, my um, most of my work was around uh, financial services, interestingly, and the, the cultures that exist with, within banking and in M&A, predominantly in, you know, M&A strategies. But I, I think there's a, a very unique perspective that most people don't understand when they think anthropology because they think Indiana Jones and archaeology. And frankly, I have a manicure and would be a terrible archaeologist. But um, <laughs> but I think that that's an important part of where we're headed in this study of humans and where business is beginning to evolve 
and no pun intended there, but, (laughs) or maybe every pun intended there, but viewing the world through this sort of cultural relativity lens and doing ethnographic work around businesses and their employees and their customers is really what I do day to day. It's amazing work and, you know, the study of cultures within, you know, organizations, they exist. And there's sometimes you hear the phrase silos, but it was more than just silos. There's other things on there. And your your example of, you know, maybe bringing in some customers to see if they would actually use this product or service uh, reminded me of some work that I did years ago. I worked in healthcare and sat on some healthcare committees and they would come up with new ways of doing things and new initiatives to work with patients and all of that. And anytime I was in any of these committee meetings, I would look around the table. And if I didn't see any physicians in the room, I knew that this thing was going to you know, basically die at that moment in time because it's like there's no input from the people that are actually going to deliver this. And you know, uh, being an executive and administrator, sometimes we think we know everything. No, 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 no. We don't know half of what we think we know. So in that situation, I would always bring it up and they knew I would too. It's like, okay, where's the docs? Well, they're busy. Uh, yeah, that's great. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. But if we just want to hammer this out and give them an executive summary and get their input later on, okay. But some of the weeds that we were getting into, you know, it was like, this, this is not going to go anywhere. And again, working with doctors, as long as they did, I knew certain things. It's like, yeah, they're not going to mind on this one. Or it's like, oh, that one is never going to fly ever, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And I'm going to let the doctors say that because I don't want to be the one that's poo-pooing the idea. Yeah, it's um, I, I got the same, you know, red flags. If you're not talking to the people who are going to use it or buy it or or build it, then you know you are basically uh, building it in a in a vacuum. And the you know the ultimate test, of course, is whether or not the market accepts it. And if you haven't been inclusive, then the chances are that it won't get accepted. And, uh, and you know, I'll paraphrase my you know my hero Darwin, but. It's really not the smartest organizations or the strongest that survive, but really the most adaptive. So in order to remain adaptive, you better be talking to your audience and to your employees. Um, I I was super fortunate, Michael, in, uh, in my career because I had an opportunity when I was working at Chase to present to the board and Herb Kelleher was uh, on the board, the founder of Southwest Airlines. And I was incredibly excited that I had done ethnographic work, that I'd really wrapped my head with customers around some of the banking products, that was driving revenue. I mean, I had all these great stories to tell about what we were doing. And and at some point when I finished, um, Herb raised his hand and said, "Um, Anita, what are you doing with employees? And I stopped for a minute and he said, you cannot have satisfied customers without satisfied employees. And my recommendation is that you take that same thinking, that same anthropological thinking that you're exercising with customers, but apply it to your employees. And Michael, the internal pivot that I took at that point was I need to be looking at organization design work. I need to be thinking about not just so much who's buying this, but who's making this. And 
Uh, I was leading technology at the time. I'm so fortunate that a CIO hired me and at Occidental Petroleum because it accidentally made me a technology executive. But I am I am a big believer that technology tools can also drive culture change and can drive behavior. So uh, I was in a position where I could actually pull the levers around technology, pull the levers around culture, really think about how to affect behavior. But to this day that, you know, what Herb said to me is very much my mantra about focusing inward as much as you're focusing outward and creating that balance. And really that's kind of at the heart of the anthropological perspective when you're looking at developing a business strategy. And when I think about salary finance, where I am today, we have flipped the model around underwriting. And so most people, when they apply for a loan, many people, I say most, but most people, when they apply, get declined. Um, and for the most part, it's because of a FICO score. So you can't qualify for an unsecured personal loan in many situations if you have a, a FICO score that, uh, you know, that the banks don't accept. So we switched the model and said, isn't it also fairly indicative of character and responsibility and a way to manage risk if you include uh, employment and tenure in that analysis? So rather than leading with FICO score, let's look and see how many people can we help by, um, by changing the model to focus on your tenure and your employment history. So for us, it was all of those individuals who don't have access to affordable loans, who are driven to these predatory markets where interest rates can be in the hundreds of percentiles. Hundreds. I, I don't even know how, how it gets past the regulators, but you know, 600% interest rate is crazy. Um, but how can we help those individuals who need it the most? So we changed the model to that and then asked ourselves, how do we scale it? And we felt as though if we partnered up with employers and treated this as an employee benefit where we wrap financial literacy, I wonder where that, you know, where that thinking came from, wrap financial literacy, wrap financial coaching, pull it all together as a holistic solution. And then when people who need it have a financial shock, they can access it at affordable rates that are, you know, on average 12%. And this is deep subprime territory. So we want to be able to be an inclusive lender and an empathetic lender. And at the same time, help all those little Anitas who are running around there too embarrassed to admit that, you know, they, they don't have access to money when they need it. And they end up in a, in a predatory market. So I'm, delighted because I'm part of this social purpose organization and at its heart and soul is this anthropological design thinking around how do you help advance people? How do you fill in those gaps that I experienced as a young adult? And then how do you get people, you know, in on better pathways when it comes to financial literacy and education and as well as access to those products? So it, I think you put all of that together and, um, and it's clear how McDonald's influenced what I'm doing today <laughs> as much as, you know, the technology influenced me being part of a, a fintech in my current life. So I, you know, I'm hoping that we spread the word and spread the mission and help uplift so many more people in the process. It's beautiful work that you do. And I want to jump back to Herb for just a moment. That's it doesn't man. surprise me that he said that because, yeah. you know, during his time, 
with Southwest. And I, I used to work in Chicago for years and I would fly back home to Detroit or anywhere else. And that was my airline of choice. Yes. You kind of had to get in line and, and all that stuff and, you know, all that, but you know, it, they took care of you, you know, and the employees took, the employees took care of you. They had, they made it fun. Um, they'd be sarcastic and reading some of the, you know, health and safety things, you know, it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to buckle this thing in. And even though you'll not, you'll never do it because you're not paying attention to me. I I see you there, Bob. And, you know, and just, and everybody's laughing and they're having a great time and it made for such an amazing flight. And, but I know he took care of his people and his people took care of their people, which is their customers. And, um, the fact that he, and I've been on boards too. And the fact, you know, he, he didn't have to be on the board, but you know, he, he chose to, and I'm sure he was compensated to a fine, whatever, but he's still giving his time. And by doing that and helping you with that, along with that manager at McDonald's paved the way for the work that you've done. I don't think it's Occidental. I love that uh, that phrase there um, that you you landed in the roles that you did because everything aligned up well to it. You know, my career, I've worked in some fields that I had no business working in because I didn't have any experience, but somehow I got into it and became successful at it because someone believed in me. I took the effort of doing everything I needed to do to learn how to do that role properly, and then ultimately thrived in it. And, and, and I, you know, I think, you know, the managers that I've had in my past and people I've worked for that helped me along that way. And it makes such a big difference. And now, you know, back to the finance thing, think about all the successful people in this world that have done absolutely amazing things. Of course, there's, you know, many famous people that we all know, but there's a whole lot more that are doing great things because they worked with organizations like yours to give them that chance to be able to do that thing, which made such a humongous difference. And they created a product or a service or simply you know, made their community better by the work that they were doing because they were able to get financing to make it happen. And, and Yes, credit scores are there for a reason, protecting banks and finances and all that. I get that. We all know that uh, the Great Recession wasn't that long ago. Really, 2007 wasn't that far behind us. No, I, 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 I remember that time and I had my own personal story during that time, which which is a, a kick in the pants for sure. But it, we survived it. And that's, yes. that's the thing. We, we came out of it maybe with a couple scars, but hey, it gives us character. But at the end of the day, I love the fact that the organization is making it possible for people to get some assistance without that 18 billion percent. And I'm with you. It's like that should not be allowed. I'm sorry. It just not be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed. That's because you don't have enough money to get a regular loan. How in the world do you get enough money to pay six times of what you're getting back? I mean, that's just. and on average, Michael, they take seven loans. So you have to get your second loan because you can't afford to pay off the first one. So you end up in this vicious cycle of, of debt from which there is, you know, literally 
very few choices to escape. I met a teacher in Houston who ended up um, fortunately using salary finance through her employer. And, um, and she struggled with every single year for the last 10 years. She's had some kind of a payday loan. Because she just couldn't figure out how to manage the expense. It was, it's more about, you know, cash flow management, right? So you hit those certain periods of the year uh, uh, and they're typically right when school starts. And interestingly, sometime in May and a little bit in January post-holiday, but really more around the May and September um, cycles where the cash flow just doesn't, doesn't work. And I joke about it, joke half joke that my mom was the greatest CFO I've ever met because she could budget. This isn't about teaching people how to budget. My, you know, they, they know how to budget. They know what that 25 cents of a piece of cheese that you described earlier on that hamburger is going to do to, you know, their, their daily spend and they're making choices, right? It's the math of poverty that you live in where you're making choices about a slice of cheese. That, that's so profound what you described there. But, um, but you're making that kind of a choice. That's not what this is about. This is about how do you give people the opportunity to uplift themselves? But as importantly, how do you do that as an employer? So we get lots of benefits as employees. But this, I, I believe, is one of the most meaningful benefits an employer can offer because now if my parents had had that or if I had had that at points in my life, it would have made the difference between, you know, it, it would have actually elevated some of my decision-making. It would have made the, the difference for my family between making a sacrifice somewhere else or actually finding that financial footing. So I can't tell you how, you know, privileged I feel being able to work with great employers like like we have now at Salary Finance. We have 550 employers and 4 million employees using the platform. So we are beginning to scale social change. And for me, that's the most exciting at a time, you know, particularly you said you lived in Detroit, but uh, at, a, at a time when, you know, we have so much systemic social injustice that we're actually able to create inclusive access to the capital markets. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing this. So that part is incredibly exciting. It's, it's amazing and it's long overdue and I'm thankful your organization is growing and scaling, which just means that more and more people are going to get access to the capital that they need to get that footing so they can help themselves you know, dig out, you know, not a, not a handout, but, a, you know, uh, it's a hand to grabs to lift you up and, and get you moving along and, and doing the things in life that uh, you want to do. And it just amazes me, the work that you're doing. So, Anita, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, uh, the, the finance company and everything else you're doing? Yeah, salaryfinance.com, just like it sounds. And we even have our own podcast on there as well, Michael. So maybe you'll join me one time for that one. But um, anything that everything uh, that I shared with you today can be found at the Salary Finance website and you can reach me through that as well. So, and I'm so grateful, Michael. Thank you for giving me a platform to share my story and to let other people know that not only is it okay to be authentic, but it's important to be authentic because there are lots of people struggling now 
particularly off the back of the pandemic. So I'm grateful for um, this platform. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Anita, for your time today. I really appreciate you. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So again, Anita, okay. thank you so much Thanks for your time today. Really Thanks. appreciate it. Thanks. See you in Atlanta. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.